You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Happy 2024. You've come to church every Sunday this year so far. So, uh, good job. Unless you're watching on the live stream, then you've missed every... No, I'm just kidding. You're joining us online, so we appreciate that as well. We're beginning a new series this week and going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I want to let you know a couple of things about the way we're going to do that. Uh, One is we're going to move pretty quickly through this book. And so we are going to skip sections of Scripture and preach through certain other sections of Scripture, not because certain sections are more important than others. I want you to understand that. Um, There, as just this first chapter, I was thinking this week, I was like, I could preach probably five messages out of this chapter. But in praying about it, thinking about it, and then planning the year, I want to get to chapter 16, and I don't want to spoil it, but that's the resurrection at Easter. So, We've got to move quick. I'm just telling you where we're going, okay? The Gospel of Mark is interesting because it is one of the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus. But they were written by different men, and they had different audiences. The Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John, but it was written late in in John's life. And he writes to the church, and he's writing affirming and reaffirming the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, who was a physician. Luke wrote the the Gospel of Luke along with Acts. And he's very meticulous. He's very detailed-oriented. And he wrote uh, to to a broad audience about the, really to address to a specific person, but God preserved it for this broad audience, the story of Jesus. Matthew wrote primarily to a a Greek uh, and then also to the Jews as well. And so he, Matthew included things like the genealogy of Jesus. But Mark is interesting because Mark, he wrote to the Romans. And the Romans were the the obviously the dominant government at that time, but the Romans, they, they were about action. They built roads and they fought wars and they did things. They would take philosophy from other places. They adopted a lot of the Greeks' philosophy, but the Romans were about doing. And so when we come to Mark chapter 1, Mark skips over the birth of Christ, the genealogy of Christ, There's no wise men uh, in in Mark. Uh, They don't go down to Egypt and come back. It's just, boom, here's Jesus. He's full grown. He's an adult. They skip over the, uh, the time when Jesus was at the temple as a boy. And all those stories are important. But for Mark, it's like, here's Jesus. Here's what he did. In the first chapter, there's three different miracles. We're going to look at two of them this morning. Three specific miracles, but then it says he was healing and casting out demons. It shows all kinds of stuff that Jesus is doing. Mark doesn't record 
record as much of the sermons of Jesus because it wasn't just about or all about what he said. It was about what he did. And the Romans could relate to that. We can relate to that too in our day and age, can't we? But it's interesting because as much as Mark focuses on what Jesus did, he focuses on his role as a servant. That was counterintuitive to the way the Romans thought. There were certainly slaves and servants throughout the Roman Empire, but they were not the people that were exalted. The people that were exalted were the generals, the rulers, the senators, the, the, the Caesars, the people that did things, that ruled over things. But Mark, in showing Jesus as a man of action, shows him as a servant. And so in Mark chapter 1, in verse 1, we jump right into the good news. This is, Mark 1, 1, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. When we talk about gospel, that word literally means good news. Later, in verse 14, we hear the gospel of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, it says later on, after John was arrested. So between verse 1 and verse 14, we're introduced to John the Baptist. We have the baptism of Jesus. We have the prophecies that, that show John is the forerunner and Jesus is the Messiah. Again, Mark is, is just going through these things quickly. And then it says, after John was arrested. Now, between verse 13 and verse 14 might have been as much as a year. That's how quickly Mark is moving because we have the baptism of Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness and then we have the arrest of John that we know eventually will end in his death. And after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Again, Mark has a tendency to boil things down to us. He doesn't record these long sermons of Jesus. He said, listen, Jesus preached and this is what he preached. The kingdom's here. Hear it, repent, receive it, repent, and believe. Like this is what's going on. This is what you've got to do. And so we have the introduction of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The good news is here. The message of the gospel is here. And then Mark begins to record all of these things that Jesus did. In chapter 1, Jesus calls disciples. He, hears, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, he draws crowds to him. But specifically this morning, we want to look at two miracles that Jesus performs in Mark chapter 1. And as again, as I mentioned to you, we're moving through this and we're going to skip over sections of Scripture. Not because they're not important. I would encourage you to read over Mark chapter 1. It'll take you just a few minutes but read through that this week. See where these miracles fit into the narrative that Mark is writing. You can even get extra credit. 
I don't want to spoil it for you, but next week we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. You could read ahead, have some idea about where we're going. But Mark records this miracle in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Jesus and his companions, he's now called some of his disciples to him. They went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And so Jesus is there, and he's in the synagogue. And actually, my wife and I got a chance last year to go to Israel, and one of the places we went to was Capernaum. And there they had ruins, but they also had rebuilt a synagogue. And you could see that. You could go in. You could sit down. It was, it, it was pretty amazing. It was probably about as wide as these two pillars and maybe from here to that back wall. Everything was made of stone. It was interesting to me how cool it was in that building despite how warm it was outside. It had windows way up top. And you could kind of feel the breeze. And it had stone, what, what I would think of as like bleachers. But the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other. And someone would come to the front and there would be kind of a, a, a stone place and they would open a scroll and read. We get that picture in the gospel several times, right? Where Jesus would, would come and he would read part of the scripture and he would expound on it. Paul to the Apostle Paul would use the synagogue and go into those synagogues and declare Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. The synagogues established themselves when the Jews were exiled. And the way it worked is if there were 10 Jewish men, then they could form a synagogue. And so it's kind of like church, but different. Uh, it's how the Jews would worship on a weekly basis, but they didn't sacrifice at the synagogue. There were several things that they didn't do that they did at the temple. But it would be a place where they would gather, where they would read scripture. It wasn't a priest or, or uh, a, a scribe necessarily that ruled over the synagogue, but it was a, a, a board of men. There would be like an elder and they would have different people who would come and read and expound on the scriptures. And so a rabbi like Jesus, it would be natural for him to come in and they would have asked him to read the scriptures, to talk about them. But as he did, he didn't just say old stories that other speakers always or teachers always said. Rather, the Bible says he spoke with authority. People recognized that he was different in the way that he spoke. And then something happened that's never happened to me in all of my preaching. It says, suddenly, verse 23, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Think this guy was a regular? He might have been. 
all of a sudden, Jesus was disrupting what this group of, of people who were coming together to worship Jehovah God, they had a routine, they had a system, they had something going, and Jesus was upsetting that. And who speaks out? The demon. I thought about just pointing out people I thought that might have demons this morning, but I thought that could get me in a little trouble. And I, I joke, but sometimes you wonder, don't you? Isn't it interesting that there was somebody there in the presence of Jesus, someone there who supposedly had come to worship that was possessed of a demon? And they spoke out. And they declared, this is really the first time that, or I guess the second time John's baptism being the other, that it's declared publicly that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's declared by a demon. But Jesus reprimanded him. Verse 25, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. That was probably unusual, right? That got people's attention. Amazement gripped the audience. They began to discuss what had happened. Of course they did. And it, you know how it went too, right? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. I'm right here. We all saw it. But that's what happens, right? People are going, holy cow. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. We said that Jesus is portrayed in the gospel of Matthew as a servant. And yet the thing that we see here is his authority. He has authority when it comes to the scriptures because as he, as he opens up God's word and as he begins to read the scriptures from the Old Testament, he would expound on them in a way that had application to the people that were right there. He would read out of Isaiah and then he would say, that prophecy is fulfilled today in your presence when you look on me because I am the promised one. He, he would give authority as far as moral issues. He would sit down at the Sermon on the Mount and he would say, you've heard it said the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look on someone to lust, you're guilty of that sin. He, he, he would raise the bar of morality and, and how they had to act. He would preach and teach with authority. When confronted by this evil spirit, he would command it to be silent and to leave the person that it possessed. And the evil spirit obeyed. And the people were blown away by the authority that Jesus had. And it would be easy for us to assume that he had all of that authority because he is God incarnate. And he is God incarnate and he does have that authority. But Jesus also told us something else. He told us that his authority came not just 
from his own self, but from the Father. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, Jesus, prior to this, is having a discussion with the different religious leaders about the things he's doing. And some of it came from healings that he was doing and specifically that he was doing them on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus said this in, in John 5, verse 19. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Now, Jesus is talking about this relationship between the Father and the Son. And he's talking about the authority, the power that comes. He said, look, the Father raises people from the dead. The Son can do the same thing. The father doesn't judge anyone. He has divested authority into the son to do the judging. And from this passage and others, we have an understanding of, of what, we, what we term the trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, how that God is three in one, and each of those members of, of the Godhead is equal in power and authority. But he's also showing us something else. He's showing us that authority, spiritual authority, is divested. It can be given. And Jesus was acting on the authority and the plan that the Father had for him. And then you read in the Gospels things that Jesus said. When he would say in Matthew chapter 28, all authority is given to me. Go therefore. In speaking to his disciples, he said, I have all authority. But he was saying it right before he ascended into heaven. But as he declares the authority that he has, he commands his followers to go and to preach the gospel. What is he saying? The authority that I have, I am giving to you. I'm divesting to you. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That Think about some of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said the things that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The things that you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I, I've talked about this in relationship to prayer before. This is certainly a concept that I see in scripture, that I've studied, that I have a understanding of, but also I don't get it. See, God's God, we're not. Why would he give us authority? But the best I can do is the relationship between an earthly parent and child. 
Because certainly, sometimes children get access and authority that they don't earn on their own, but is divested to them because of their parent, right? You ever seen a kid walk into their own house? I mean, they're home, right? They know where everything is. You ever seen a kid that's way too young to be in the kitchen, go into the kitchen and open up the cabinets and find the snack and pour it out and, and get themselves something to eat? Where do they generally do that? In their home, right? And if it's not in their home, maybe grandma and grandpa's home. Someplace where they know they're not, they, A, they know where the snacks are because they've seen others get them. And they know those snacks are for them and they're not going to get in trouble, right? Most kids won't necessarily do that in just a stranger's home. Some will, those kids, well, anyway. Why? Because they know that this is the place where they know the authority. They know the parent. They know the grandparent. They know where they stand in conjunction with the authority. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed and bought with a price and, and God has put his righteousness on us. And in that, he bestows his authority on us. That doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. It doesn't mean that we're God. But it does mean that we can go with boldness. We see that with the disciples of Jesus, don't we? Sometimes for good and bad. They'd try to do things. They'd say, yeah, I saw a guy preaching. We told him to stop. Jesus said, that guy's not against me. He's for me. His disciples went, oh, oh okay. Other times people brought demon-possessed people and they couldn't cast them out. And they were like, why? And Jesus said, well, that comes only by prayer and fasting. And they were like, oh, we just thought we were good enough. I guess not. But those were the failures. They did get to, at times, walk on the water and feed the thousands and heal the sick. Why? Because these followers of Jesus had some kind of authority on their own? No, it was authority that was divested to them. And so Jesus models this for us. I was thinking about this and in relationship to God's word. And me being a pastor, next month I'll celebrate 17 years at Belmont. That's a long time. I'm getting old. I don't, you don't have to clap. First of all, it's next month. Who knows if we'll get there? But hopefully, I'm glad you laughed. Some of you are like, amen. We were sitting over there. Derek was doing the welcome. I stand up to worship. It's snap, crackle, pop. My wife turns and looks at me and goes, that did not sound good. I said, think how it felt. I remember when I first came to Belmar. 
remember how most every day, certainly every Sunday, I was gripped with uncertainty about what in the world I was to do. But I understood a couple of things. I understood first, I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had called me and put me here as pastor of Belmar Church. And secondly, knew from past experience and from God's word that I could stand on the authority of scripture and declare the truth of God's word and I could do so through the power of the Holy Spirit and that that would affect people's lives. Not because of any eloquence or uh, any intellect that I had, but because of the power and, and just the, 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 the living word at work through the, through the Holy Spirit. And so I could stand in that. But I've been pastor now for almost 17 years. I've preached week after week after week. And if I'm not careful, I can think I can stand up here and know what I'm doing. I can think I know how to study and craft a sermon and say a few funny things and maybe make an impact. I'll try to, you know, say something rather uh, relevant and concise in a way that Jason could cut down and we could throw on Instagram. And maybe I think that's what it's about. And I might think that I would have the authority But that's wrong. That's not going to do anything. It's true that sometimes we get experience and we get wisdom from that. But authority comes only through Jesus Christ. Our ability to do anything comes only through him. Think of other times in my life where I really felt overwhelmed. One of those was when my wife and I brought our first child home from the hospital. I just, I, I remember getting him home and A, kind of feeling successful about that. Just, hey, we got him here. He's still alive. But then thinking, now what? Like, now what in the world? Well, I mean, yeah, we kind of went to this little class, but I don't know anything. And I looked at my wife and I knew she knew more than me, but I wasn't convinced that she had it all figured out either. And how do you raise a kid? How do you lead a family? Well, thank God God's word gives us insight into that. Amen. But then if we're not careful, we can go along even in that and think, oh, I kind of got this thing figured out. Life and the Lord have a way of kind of reminding us that we don't have things figured out. Amen? Make a plan. Get everything situated. God will remind us sometimes who's in charge. But authority comes from him. Here's the good news. The good news is there's authority. The, the thing we have to remember is it comes from him. 
But Jesus spoke with authority. He commanded authority. I love this passage in Mark chapter 4, and we'll get there here in a few weeks, but after Jesus calmed the storm, in Mark 4 and verse 41, it says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. And then this is what they said. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Talk about authority. Demons are silenced and cast out. Wind and waves obey what he says to do. But that he, he would say, I can do nothing except for the, as directed by the Father. And then he would tell us to go and do in his authority. Jesus spoke and he acted in authority, but he was a servant. I want to look at the last few verses of this chapter as we look at one more miracle this morning. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, it says this. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him couple other things I want us to see quickly this morning. The first is this. Jesus was moved with compassion. This man comes to him and he, and he is stricken with this disease of leprosy, this disease that would begin to uh, show itself on the skin and, and it had it was, it was disgusting to look at, it was painful to deal with, and ultimately it was terminal. A leper would be cast out. They couldn't interact with their family. Matter of fact, in the Jewish culture, they would have to proclaim anytime they were coming close to anyone, unclean, unclean. They would have to declare themselves unclean. And people would, would socially distance from them. They'd go to the other side of the street. There was places that a leper couldn't go. Most of the time, they weren't allowed to even go back to their home. And the man comes to Jesus, and he says, I know if you want to, you can heal me. And the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw the man, and he cared about him. Jesus would say this in the Gospel of Luke. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. 
You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Oh, I tell you, it's easy in this world to lose our compassion, isn't it? I mean, when you see the people standing on the street corner every day, it's easy to just not see them anymore. When we see people on the other side of the world doing wicked things, it's easy to lump them all together and not see them for people and have any kind of compassion on them. When we see people who are politically opposed to us, it's easy to see them as a group and not as people and not have compassion on them. When we see people that we think would hurt us or do harm to us or cause us some kind of pain, it's easy to see them as the enemy or something else and not as people that we ought to have some compassion on. Now, just because we have compassion on them, I'm not saying that we can't, that, that we shouldn't interact with people sometimes with wisdom. But I am saying that sometimes we can lose our compassion. I'll give you a quick example, and then we'll move on. This week, I was sitting in my office upstairs. One of our staff guys was uh, getting in our box truck that we use for our food bank, and he was heading out of the parking lot, and he was going to do a pickup. And as he drove by, I heard this loud exhaust. And I thought that our box truck had been vandalized again. Now, skip to the end, I was wrong. And I know, I didn't think it could happen either. But I was wrong. It hadn't been. But where, my, where, my, where I sit at my desk, there's a window here to my right and I could see that box truck out of the corner of my eye, but there's a window behind me, and I could hear the traffic on Kipling. And it just coincided in a way that I thought that was the box truck, and I thought someone had stolen our catalytic converters. It's already happened twice. Since then, we built a fence, and we locked the box truck in that fence. And I'm telling you that I thought our truck had been vandalized for a third time, and I didn't know who did it, but the farthest thing from my mind was compassion. Vengeance, retribution, eternal judgment, those were things that were on my mind. And I do think there's kind of a special punishment for someone that would vandalize somebody at something at a church. I'm just telling you. And those people that would come and crawl up under our truck and cut out those catalytic converters, and which is illegal and immoral and improper, if I found them, I would try to show some restraint physically. I would definitely try to put them under the authority of the law. 
but would I have compassion for them? Again, if I saw someone vandalizing our church property, I'd call the cops. I'd hope they came and got arrested. I can do that and still have compassion. Understand what I'm saying, but I can also do that with no compassion. And that's not what God would have me do. Oftentimes, disease was looked at as a judge, as a judgment for sin. We don't know that this leper didn't have done horrible things in his life. We don't know anything about him. We just know that Jesus looked at him and had compassion. And God forbid that as followers of Jesus Christ, we would lose our compassion. Because, but for God's grace in my life, I could be a thief. I could be a murderer. I could, I am a sinner. It is only God's grace in my life. I'm certainly not morally superior to anyone else. And Jesus was moved with compassion. Because of time this morning, we'll not look at what Jesus instructed the man to do. He told him, he said, you need to go and do. If you have time this week, I'd encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14 is the, the passage of Scripture that's put in there for when a person with a skin disease such as leprosy is healed. I'm guessing that that's not something that priests did every day. But Jesus told the guy to go to the priest. There, there's amazing symbolism there for the crucifixion of Christ. They would take two birds. One of the birds they would kill. And they would take the blood of that bird and they would sprinkle it over the person that was healed and over the other bird. And then they would take that bird who had the, the blood sprinkled on it and they would release it to be free. A bird who had been captured, one dies, but the other is free. There's a cedar stick and there's hyssop and there's red ribbon that is used in this ceremony. And we see how the blood is sprinkled and then the bird is set free and the blood is sprinkled on the man and he is declared or woman and they are declared to be healed and free from the disease. Jesus said, go do this and this will be your testimony. We're not told if the man did that or not, but what we are told is the man immediately went away and did not obey what Jesus told him to do, which was be quiet about it. Mark 1 ends with verse 45. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. This guy couldn't just slide back into his old life. He said, can I tell you what Jesus did to me? 
Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? We want to be like Christ. We need to be a servant. God has given us the authority to serve him. If we want to be like Christ, we need to be compassionate. And if we've really experienced the touch of Christ in our life, how can we keep silent about it? How can we not tell others what God has done for us? And so let us follow the example of Jesus as a servant, exercising authority, but under authority, showing compassion, because his heart was broken for the sin that others called and empowered to do what God had called and empowered him to do. And God has called and empowered you and me to declare his word, to serve him, to show compassion on others. Let's pray this morning. Gracious God, Lord, Thank you so much for your word that encourages us, instructs us, that brings conviction to us, but also encouragement to us. God, I believe that there are people here this morning that you are calling to, to do things and to be involved in places that they may feel inadequate or they may feel like they don't have the ability to do, but God, you are calling them and you will empower them. And God, I pray that they would have the courage to answer that call. Maybe this morning we be, need to be reminded that we can do nothing on our own, that it is only through your empowering, through your authority that we can do anything. Maybe this morning we need to be reminded to have compassion. It's easy to look at others and think, we've never done that. We've never been involved in that. We're above that. God, we see the results of sin around us. Help us not to grow hard to that. Help us to remember that you are a Savior who is compassionate. Help us to show and share that compassion with others even this week. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.